Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Out to Be podcast. My name is Katie Zaccardi. I am your host. If I sound a little bit different today during this intro, it's because I decided to take a very last minute trip to Florida, and so I am recording on my iPhone. I'm recording this intro on my iPhone. So we're switching things up today. I'm not coming to you from New York. I'm coming to you from Florida. And I'm really excited to bring you today's episode. My guest today is Louise Warren, the founder of Rare Gem. Louise is a life coach and an award-winning singer-songwriter. Her mission is to shake creative dreamers out of the hustle mentality and back into self-care and deeply honoring their innate worthiness. Me and Louise have an amazing conversation and it was so exciting to talk with her. She really shares her biggest tips for diving deep into self-care and not in a surface level way. A lot of times we think of self-care as getting your nails done or getting a massage or whatever, but it's not just about spending money and kind of like treating yourself. It's actually about self-examination, our relationships, setting boundaries, all those things. And I love how deep we get into it. And we also start the conversation by talking about some of the misconceptions and stereotypes around creatives and around self-care. So such a good conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. Before I start today's episode, I also want to mention that Louise is taking on a few more one-on-one clients, so I'm going to put the link if you are interested in working with her in the show notes today, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Screenshot this episode and share it on Instagram and tag me and Louise. We would love to hear what your biggest takeaways were, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, Louise, and welcome to the Out to Be podcast. Hi, Katie. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I am so happy to have you here. We were just talking earlier about how both of us are so excited because we're both yeah. coaches, so we kind of get to geek out. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we both are very much in the same realm of self-care and um, worthiness for creative people. I think that that's such a huge uh, part of what both of us do in our coaching work. So it's cool that we get to geek out over that specifically, too. <laughs> totally. So I want to dive deep into what you do as a coach and all that stuff. But before we get there, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. I am a singer songwriter and a life coach for creative women, um, which, you know, that's a mouthful, <laughs> but, um, I have just been doing this over the past couple years. Cause I saw a need in myself. I was highly drawn to this work as many of us are based on my own wellness journey and my own self-care journey and, uh, determining how much I needed that to be able to be the full creative alive person that I wanted to be. I kind of had one of an unusual childhood for sure. Um, I dealt with a lot of interesting characters who didn't really model uh, good self-care. They modeled self-sacrificing models. As many of us do watching our parents, we do see a ton of self-sacrificing. Um, and then growing up as a little girl, I always wanted to be a musician. Creative work just called to me constantly. Um, I was so drawn to music. I was that little kid that would just run to the swing set um, on the playground and just write songs the entire time I was there. Very introverted, very sensitive. And I just grew up with this love and this passion. And I was constantly looking around me and seeing people who were giving all of themselves to this passion. So that was the model that I saw in that aspect as well, um, is people who surrendered so much of themselves. And I thought, if I didn't do that, then I didn't really love it. Or if I didn't do that, then I wasn't worthy of it because they're willing to give up everything to do this creative career. So with those two models kind of battling it out in my head, I embarked upon this crazy thing called life and hit a roadblock massively when I was about 22 or 23. For the very first time in my life, I experienced what I just described as an anxiety meltdown. Um, I had had depression before, um, but I had never really quite experienced anxiety like this. It was just ferocious. It was unending and just like the loudest bang at the door that you could ever have inside your mind at all times. I couldn't sleep. I wasn't eating properly. Um, exercise helped. Little things helped, but nothing ever seemed to really heal what was going on with me until I started working with a therapist and working with life coaches. Um, and I was so, so, so grateful to find the right people who understood that what was really going on with me was that I was never 
taking care of myself, that I was literally never tending to my own needs or asking for them. Sure. No, like, I mean, <laughs> there is, there is no communication of needs in any of my relationships. And I constantly feared them ending because I put so much on them. Um, to be able to guess what I needed and then deliver that to me. So once I finally did some work with coaches, I started to, to see life very differently through boundaries, um, through understanding that I have to start with me and that everything around me was just simply being a mirror to that. So it sounds like you, you kind of reached a burnout period, which was oh my breaking gosh. point. And yes. you just like had to change something from there. Yes. And the thing about it is burnout to me is not just, you know, I call it an anxiety breakdown, but truth be told, it's not just one or two times, you know, it's for me, it wasn't just this one time. And then I determined I needed help. What it, what happened for me with this was that it was multiple times over a span of like a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I looked myself in the mirror and I started to see these patterns pop up that I knew I could associate with people that had modeled life choices that I didn't want to make. I'm like, okay, I don't want to be like them. And I don't want to make these same choices and end up with my life here. What can I do? Um, and I always joke that I'm such a Ravenclaw <laughs> if you're a Harry Potter fan, because like the first thing I did was just get on the computer and start researching how to not have anxiety, <laughs> how to not be miserable. You're like, how do I all right, I figured this out. Let's just hop to it. Let's figure out the answer. Google let's, shall do it. <laughs> let's go let's ask the wise old Google. Yes. <laughs> or Google. <laughs> and it was, it, you know, it was incredibly helpful helpful just to start with things like psychology today or mind body green and take their courses and read their articles. Those were lifelines for me. So I, I never want to knock that, but that wasn't how I really learned to implement it. That was just mm -hmm. the information to reprogram what was going on. So instead yeah. of saying, Oh, my partner's being so awful. Like he's going and hanging out with friends. Like how dare he not give me any time and attention. I'd reprogram that as what do I need right now? What need do I feel is not being met here? And how can I meet it myself? So when he comes back, we're like having the best evening ever. Yeah. And because I'm good. Because I love that you mentioned like, you were very self-aware and I consider myself to also be very self-aware. Like I can yeah. identify the problems very easily, but that doesn't mean that you can just fix them yourself. Like no. <laughs> of the time, you need another outside person. You need a coach or a therapist or someone to help you identify like, okay, yes, maybe you've already identified it, but like, where is this coming from, from a deeper level? And how can you actually change that behavior as opposed to just being like, well, I know this is going on, so therefore I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and there's accountability aspect, you know, like you may not always see the times uh, that you're spiraling or triggered. You know, that's, that's the hardest part. I think in the beginning of this journey for me is I didn't always see the times that I was triggered. Sometimes I was like, I'm going to stand up for myself. This is a valid situation and I'm super angry about it. And I'm very justified. And I wasn't at all. Like it was literally just me making things up in my head mm. and not being, uh, not taking care of my needs. Yeah. And it literally went back to that. So it became, um, I had a really great coach named Madison Hedlund who just started me off every single session with the same question. And it was, what do you need today? And I literally, the first couple of sessions, I'm like, I can't, what is this question? Mm -hmm. What is this? Like, I can't even speak on this yeah. right now. And she said, I'm going to take my time. I'm here. Sit here and just, you know, muddle that one over. <laughs> And until I was able to do it um, and really answer very quickly, I, I realized just how deprived I had been. And that was in like, uh, you know, only a few years back, you know, that was in the middle of this journey. That wasn't even at the start of it. So um, I definitely struggle with a lot of codependency because of being raised in a way to serve other people. And I think a lot of women are raised that way or raised to be there for other people um, which is why I gear my work specifically towards women, even though I think it impacts men just as much. I want to speak to that because of having gone through it and collecting a little bit of uh, breadcrumbs along the pathway to understanding how to beat this thing. Because yeah. um, I have countless friends who go through the exact same thing. They think there's something wrong with them. 
And again, it's internalizing it over and over and over again until you realize the only internal shift that needs to happen is that you stop looking outward towards everybody else and you start turning that internally and seeing everything else as a mirror of that world. Yeah. I want to circle back to this because a lot of my clients struggle with this and I think a lot of people who are listening do too. Before we do though, help us understand, how did you make the jump from going through this yourself to deciding okay, I want to become a creative life coach and here's how I'm going to do it. How did that all transpire? <laughs> it happened quite by accident <laughs> because here I am. I'm, I've been pursuing my musical uh, aspirations and, and touring and playing out and writing constantly. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who was a creative coach, a creativity coach, and uh, she had coached me. She was one of my first two coaches because I'm an overachiever. Of course, I hired two coaches in the very beginning, which <laughs> totally okay if they're coaching around different areas, but maybe next time I would advise someone to go one area at a time yeah. rather than take the same principles and apply it to coaching. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she was one of my first two coaches that I ever worked with, and she coached around creativity. And it wasn't really me at that point wanting to address or uh, addressing with her any kind of codependency. I really had this project in mind, uh, my very first album, Lavender Sound, and I needed someone to help me overcome some really hard stuff. I had lost my father suddenly a year prior, and I was as functional as one could be because of the therapy work I had done and Mm -hmm. because of understanding I needed the support. But I reached out to her and I worked with her and I was able to get through some of those uh, resistances. And I mean, that album's released now. So because of that early on work, I was able to kind of break down what that would be for my creative project. A couple months after we worked together, she sends me an email and she says, hey, my school that I trained with um, is doing trainings right now. And I kind of feel like called to share this with you. I feel like you'd be really good at helping other people. And I'm like, okay, never thought about this. This sounds really awesome. It sounds like something I just nerd out over anyways. So I signed up for training. I loved it so much. I signed up for the next one and uh, did the whole certification program. Um, very early on and I started working with, you know, pro bono clients and just kind of getting experience, getting my feet wet, working with creatives. But very, very, very early on in that process, I realized that I wanted to serve all aspects of their life and not just their creativity because it would come up. You know, if you're doing a session on creativity, it's not just going to stay in that one realm because there's so many different aspects to being a creative person and you cannot separate the self from your creativity. Like it's all mixed in there as much as we want to make them separate systems. They're not. Um, So I signed up and I learned uh, from beautiful you life coaching Academy as, as to how to like coach around life topics and goals and other, other areas because I wanted to really serve people in a different way. Um, And that's not to say you have to take that path as a coach, but that's the one that just really felt right to me. I really like to dig in deep and learn. Uh, for a period of time. And those just kind of led me to this entire new lifestyle for myself. I took everything I learned and I applied it. I turned it back on myself, but also to truly show up and serve other creative women who might be struggling with the same thing. Ah, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It was quite a journey. Yeah, it sounds like it. But it's so interesting that you weren't really thinking about it. And then someone else was almost like, called for you to share it and and then here you are now (laughs) yeah I think that I was always uh really drawn to it and maybe secretly had been thinking about doing it but I had all of these limitations in my mind Mm -hmm. that said oh well I'm not healed enough I can't do this enough and sometimes it just takes somebody else reflecting back to you that they believe that you could be in that role for you to shift into worthiness around that um and it took that for me I I don't think it should have taken taken that for me (laughs) or that it should take that for other people. But sometimes having that reflection and that encouragement can be a life changer. Yeah. So now that you are just killing it as a creative life coach, (laughs) what are some of the biggest struggles that people who come to you face? What are the trends that you're seeing that people in the creative industry are struggling with the most? Lots of burnout. That comes out 
constantly and literally every session. Um, and not just like, oh, I'm physically burnt out. I just played 10 shows, not that kind of burnout, like a deep, deep, burnout because we have been pre-programmed to approach this as the hustle. We've been pre-programmed to approach this as measuring our worthiness on whether or not we have X amount of Instagram followers or X amount of live shows or X amount of dollars in the bank. And when you base your worthiness on external things, you're never going to feel like it's innate. You're going to feel like you constantly have to earn it. Like you have to hustle. Like it's not just a choice to hustle and be great, but that you have to hustle. Otherwise you are nothing, <laughs> which sounds dramatic, but it's crazy to me how many women believe that and how many creative people believe that, that if they're not having these opportunities given to them, that they're not valuable. That's deeply disturbing. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I do a lot of money mindset work with my clients. I find that that's something that comes up and I'm sure you yes. do as well, right? And yes. it reminds me of one of the common money limiting beliefs, which is that you have to work super hard to make a lot of money. And a lot of people listening, especially if you've never done any work around your money mindset, you might be thinking like, well, yeah, like, duh, that's how you make money. <laughs> But, but what the, you know, the truth behind that is like, it's just that it's that the real, the real thing that people are thinking is that you have to hustle and you have to lead to burnout in order to make any money. And that is just simply not true. And it just goes for the same as being successful in your music career, no matter what you're trying to accomplish. If you are driving yourself to burnout, there's (laughs) no freaking way you're going to actually be able to accomplish it because you can't execute, you can't function in, in the highest level possible. No, no. It's, it's the myth of the tortured artist. It's like, this is a storytelling device, people. Like this is not something that is really present in truly successful people. Truly successful Yet it's so deeply ingrained. (laughs) Yeah, it's in literally every biopic you could watch Mm -hmm. on an artist is at some point they're going to be incredibly troubled and then they're going to be sitting at their piano or guitar and then they're going to strum like one chord and then the whole song's going to come out all at one time. I mean, even just creativity being represented like that is a joke to me now. I can't stand biopics. I love watching things about uh, creative people, but I hate it when they make it the storytelling device that they had to create to be miserable Mm -hmm. rather than, oh, maybe they were creating to heal themselves. Maybe creativity is actually an act of self-care. You know, we don't, we don't say, oh, misery, it takes misery to meditate. No, we meditate because we're experiencing something that causes us to sit down and be still and work on ourselves that way. And that to me is the joke of it. It's it they're not understanding the order of operations here. Yeah. <laughs> it does not take being miserable to create beautiful works of art. I mean, if you believe that, then you can just like delete half of the world's creations because how many songs were born out of love, how many songs were born out of happiness or finding a deeper part of yourself or even just storytelling on another person's behalf. Most of my work is actually, uh, what I say it is, is 10% reality, 90% made up. <laughs> That's so funny. I feel like it's the same with mine too. A lot of times people will be like, oh, what is this song about? And I'm like, it's a, it's a story. Like maybe it was drawn <laughs> from my own life, but it's just a story. Or a lot of times I'll like draw inspiration from TV shows or movies, but like <laughs> this story literally already exists. I'm just yeah the song. And right. again, it's such a good point. Like, what are you going to do? Delete, literally press delete on half of the world. Like, it, no, it's, it's confirming bias. You know, like if we want to believe something, we will find the evidence for it. If you want to yes. believe that you have to drink or do drugs or be miserable or you know, rock and roll lifestyle it up to be able to have a creative, exciting, fun experience with life, then we're going to look for everything that confirms that. Mm -hmm. If you believe that it takes you being happy and healthy and whole to be creative, then you'll find the evidence of that as well. Um, But the reality of it, when you really look, is when people are 
in that whole quote unquote tortured artist mentality, they're canceling shows. They're like mm -hmm. frazzled. They're not creating their best stuff. Mm -hmm. They can't even keep meetings in that state. Like how are you able to push and lead your career forward, your life forward if you are just a wreck? Like yeah. how can you do that? And I think that a lot of times, even when we think of this like tortured artist, it, most of the people that we're thinking of are not people who are necessarily successful now. They're people no. who are successful in the past. And I'm making kind of vague assumptions here, but like, let's just say off the top of my head, it feels like people that we're thinking of are either dead <laughs> or have been taken advantage of. And right. so while it might look like they're successful, the music industry back then was very much different and they were able to have people who could guide them along in their careers and just like, you know, record labels, publishers, et cetera, just kind of like guiding them along and allowing them to be successful to a point until they were either taken advantage of or kind of disappeared. And now a lot of artists, a lot of people are independent and we're not yeah. working with, we might have a team, of course, we might have a team, but it's, it's, it's different culture. And I think it's a lot harder now to operate and get sort of get away with functioning at such a poor level for yeah. so long. It's a lot more obvious now and it's a lot faster to, to reach that point of burnout where it's very clear that you can't sustain this anymore. Right. And because of that, we're expected to, to be more level-headed and show up as CEOs. Mm -hmm. Whereas before it's like we're employed by a label. Yeah, exactly. And we're not the employee anymore. We're the employer. We're the ones that are the CEOs. And I, I take that to mean of our entire lives as a whole. You know, if you're looking and you're managing your life um, as a whole, you have to consider every single area of that you know, your business aspect of it, your creativity, your spirituality, your friendships and relationships, all of that functions together because anyone can tell you in any other career. Um, it's so obvious that if, if you're having problems in any one of those areas, it's going to reflect poorly on your work. Um, it's just in music and creativity that we have this perpetuated myth because of the past and because of these um, fairy tales, so to speak, about these people's lives. It's not like they um, wanted to be a part of the storytelling device that wasn't a choice for them. And they had their own illnesses and issues that led Such them. A good point. <laughs> right. Like it's not like they're, they're they're saying, "Hey, this is the best way that I could be in this position," or "This is you know." exactly how it happened. It's dramatized. And I think because these stories are told the same way every time, it's brainwashing us. And I, I really truly hate that because I grew up with that idea that if I was too happy, I wouldn't create. And I have people joke about that to me all the time. People I loved would say, oh, she's too happy. Maybe she's not going to write a song this week. Oh, yeah. My dad used to say, oh, we should have fucked you up more so you could write <laughs> hit songs. He was joking. He was totally joking. But, but he was also playing into that stereotype of like, yeah. oh, everyone's so messed up who's successful. And it's like, yeah, mm, it's not true. <laughs> and, and I find that women, you know, unfortunately get that a lot too, especially in the realm of relationships. It's like, oh, well, you have this happy relationship. You know, you bet. I've actually had someone that I considered a mentor to me tell me because I got engaged uh, that, you know, I needed to hurry up and do whatever I was going to do with my career or just go back to school because it was probably not going to happen for me since I was quote unquote settling down. And he didn't say it as harsh as maybe that sounds. And he didn't mean it that like that harsh, but mm -hmm. that is the perception that yeah. we're fighting right now. That is the perpetuated myth that we are fighting right now is that you can only do something when you're this age to this age and that you know, and that alone instills so many of my clients with utter panic, utter sheer panic that leads to overworking. I mean, that's there. That's really a huge root cause of it is this fear that if I don't do it within this time frame, I will never get to do this and mm -hmm. I'll be deprived of this. And how sad is it that a lot of these people who are saying that to me are women? How sad is it that not only are they taught so much of their lives to support and be there for other people, then they're taught, oh, wait, if you do want to have a dream, you can only have it between the years of like 20 and 30. 
Yeah. Which is just BS. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I, I totally agree. The, the ageism part of it is, it makes us feel like we're always pushing against the clock, but we're actually not. There's plenty of people who yeah. are successful later in life and early in life, and so it really doesn't matter. But I agree, there's yeah. so many stereotypes. And, and I do want to give some acknowledgement to the flip side mm-hmm. of it as well, because it's not to say that if you do struggle with depression or anxiety that you can't write good music and that you only have to be in a good state of mind. No. It's just to say that you should be open to all types of emotions and that we don't need to box our in box ourselves into this place of misery in order to be creative. It's more just about feeling the actual feelings, allowing them to arise, allowing ourselves to process them while songwriting or out, outside of songwriting and then bring that into our works of art. Yeah. You don't have to hide any part of yourself. You don't have to hide your happy. You don't have to hide your shadow parts. You can bring all of it to music. That's why it's such a blessing and a gift. You can bring all of it to creativity. That's Mm -hmm. why it's such a powerful tool and a powerful vehicle in a person's life is because it's all encompassing. It's not saying, Oh, only come to me when you're miserable. Thanks. Mm -hmm. It's saying, come to me as you are. Tell me whatever story yours or someone else's and you know, I will lift this up, so to speak, you know, I will lift this up. So we've identified a lot of the struggles, problems, limiting beliefs, misconceptions that your clients are struggling with. How does self-care affect our creative process and allow us to step into a place where we can be fully creative and actually cope with the things that we're struggling with as a side instead of, you know, continuing to struggle with them or pushing them aside? Absolutely. Um, self-care actually implements the, the counter to all of this. So if you have, and it can look like anything. That's the thing is self-care is parenting yourself. It's being the CEO. It's managing all aspects of your life. So that can look like making sure you pay your bills on time. That can look like feeding your body. That can look like having a chat with a friend because you just really needed to talk to somebody or a good cry. That's totally allowed. It's just answering your own needs. And the way that this addresses it is it turns your attention back to yourself, what is in your realm of control. And it sends a perpetual message to yourself, your whole self, that you are worthy of that time. The way that I like to explain it to people is if you had a friend and you talk to this friend a lot, and sometimes he said mean things to this friend, and this friend really wanted to hang out with you and kept on asking to hang out with you, and you shot him down every time. Would you think that you were being a very good friend to this person? Would they feel good around you? Probably not. Like, no, they, no, you would be like, like, they would be like, this is the worst friend I've ever had. Like, yeah. <laughs> they just want to say mean things to me and they never spend any time with me. So self-care is spending time with yourself. Yeah. It's treating yourself um, like that inner child and like that inner person that exists in that inner soul and saying, hey, I see you. You're doing an awesome job. What do you need? How can I support you? How can I be there for you? So few of us have that kind of relationship with ourselves because again, we're, we're taught to, you know, take these external things to measure ourselves by and keep pushing for them. But if we just stopped for one second and we gave ourselves these practices and sent these messages, all of a sudden we're functioning on a full tank. We're able to think clear and everything that was on our list can get done better and faster and smarter than before when we're frazzled and anxious and not in a good place. It's just, it's just simple, simple, uh, science here. (laughs) You know, if you take two seconds to breathe, your brain can function better. So imagine if not only are you taking those two seconds to breathe, you're literally thinking before it even becomes a problem, how can I support myself? You're not letting yourself get to burnout. You're not letting yourself get to a breakdown point. You're going ahead and creating a relationship that prevents that. Yeah. So how do we do that? <laughs> how do you do that? It's, yeah. it's so simple and people don't like that it's simple. It's listening to yourself. <laughs> it is literally listening to yourself. It's not listening to somebody else telling you, oh, this is the perfect morning and night routine, or this is the perfect way 
for, for them to do this, or this is the regimen that you should follow. It's literally asking yourself simple questions like, okay, am I more of a morning person or am I more of a night person? When do I work best? How many hours of sleep do I need? Um, that's some of the physical aspects. Spiritually, it could be like, what really makes me feel connected to life in the process of this? Creatively, it could be like, how many songs could I write you know, in a certain time period that would really make me feel filled up, excited, and like smashing through these goals? Is asking those questions and listening for the answers. The, the trouble arises that we tend to think that we're supposed to be doing a certain thing. And there is no certain way of caring for a person. We are all vastly complicated, individual, and unique. And your self-care is going to look totally different from somebody else's, even if you're learning from the same people, <laughs> even if you're coaching with the same people. It's totally. going to look so different. <laughs> yeah, such an important point because everyone, almost everyone I bring out to the podcast talks about meditation um, as a form of self-care or reducing yeah. stress or anxiety. But I always ask them, what does your meditation practice look like? Because even in that one thing, it looks different for everyone. Oh yeah. And that's just one aspect of potential things that you could do for self-care. So it just goes to show and amplify that your self-care routine is not supposed to be identical to someone else's because mm -mm. you like different things and you thrive and get filled up by different things. Yeah, exactly. It's like if, if I were forced to run through somebody else's self-care that makes them feel nourished and happy and excited and all the things that they want to feel, um, again, we're also going for different feelings with our self-care. So maybe self-care to me is peace and calm and quiet, but to someone who's more extroverted and less sensitive, their self-care is making sure they have the coffee day every day with a friend or, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to look so different. So it's knowing yourself. And I think that's the hardest part here because yeah. people are, unfortunately, we're programmed and raised to listen to other people before ourselves. Yeah. I'm an extrovert. And I know that part of my self-care has had to become, especially since I've been working from home and so I'm not around coworkers or anything, I have <laughs> to make sure that I am hanging out with people, hanging out with friends or family and being social, even if I don't necessarily want to, I have yeah. to do it because otherwise a few weeks down the line, I'm feeling very, like, very depleted. And like, I, I, like, I want to see people, but now no one's around. And like, all of a sudden it's a shit show and I'm like, I can't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You can, you can envision what's happening. So it oh makes me like yeah. you are, you're doing just fine and like, oh, I don't need it. Like I'm in the workflow. I'm working six days a week. I'm doing this. I'm blah, blah, blah. I don't need to see anyone. I'm not feeling like I need to fulfill that need, but you actually kind of need to do it proactively because otherwise you'll get to the point where all of a sudden you're like, I need this so bad <laughs> or I'm going to like lose it. It's breakdown moment. It's like, breakdown yeah. time, yeah. Yeah. I'm literally like, can anybody hang out with me, please? <laughs> and see, I, I understand that so much. I, you know, I am a friendly introvert. Like, I love people. But for me, also dealing and struggling with a chronic illness that just completely fatigue is one of the major things that I struggle with. I have something called Potts and Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, um, which is a connective tissue disorder. And that comes with a whole set of challenges. That's part of what kind of helped me clarify my niche was going to be around self-care as well, is because that came up for me as well when I was trying to move forward. This diagnosis uh, happened for me about two years ago and totally changed how I do my business and do my life. And so for me as an introvert and someone struggling with a chronic illness that just zaps my energy, if I even like make tea in the morning, I pre-program rest time. I allow myself to go slower and grow slower in my business if I want to. And I don't look outside of myself for approval of, oh, is my business going fast enough? And when I do, I'm very lucky to either have the wonderful people in my life to remind me of my words or I remind me of my words by saying, hey, look, you know, your life is totally different from this other person you're not going to be able to do the same things and you're not bringing to the table the same things. You are both unique and you have your own gifts to give in this. And maybe this is part of what would 
you know, attract someone to work with you specifically because we each have something really magical about our personalities and about our story that naturally draws other people to us, you know, even as a musician. I know people kind of sense that hypersensitivity in my music <laughs> and that hyper awareness in my music. And I've had so many people approach me and thank me for that aspect of it. So I think it's allowing allowing yourself to care for yourself in an individual way allows you to accept yourself as an individual and to love yourself as an individual. It's just, it's just the action step of that. That's so good. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so since we're kind of talking, well, since we're kind of talking about like relationships and extrovert sure. versus introvert, I want to circle back to that point of overcoming the fear of saying no and maybe the fear of setting boundaries. Mm. I know something, this is something my, a lot of my clients struggle with yeah. a lot. They feel like they're always doing stuff for someone else. They never do anything for themselves. Somebody asks them to do something they can't and won't and don't say no. And they know, like they literally know that this is causing them stress. It's causing them burnout. Yet the, the stress of thinking that, this relationship will just disappear if I set any boundaries is enough to keep them in this bad habit. So talk to us about this. Yes. How can we overcome this? How is that true or not true that we're going to lose people in our lives if we set boundaries? Tell us, tell us all the good stuff. Oh my gosh. This is, this is a huge part of self-care and a huge part of being a creative person and a huge part of being the boss of your own business because all of this falls heavily into the role of CEO. I think the way that I think of it is this. Our time here is limited. No matter how much we resist thinking about that, it's absolutely limited. And I know that I, will, I would want to be at the end of my life knowing that I gave 110% to the things that were valuable to me, that meant the most to me, and I didn't spend my time. You know, we think of money management. Time management is equally as important, if not more so, because you can always go back and make more money. You can't get that time that you spent doing something that was not valuable or fulfilling to you. So I think that's the first thing that I remind myself when I'm going through all of this is, okay, do I really want to give up this one moment that I have that I could have spent doing this, 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 or this that is valuable to me, either with my family, writing a song that was healing or meaningful to me or somebody else. You never, it's, it's seeing what you're trading for, showing up for somebody in a way that doesn't feel good. I think the second thing that I think of in all of this is if you were asking a favor of somebody and you could tell that they didn't really want to do it for you, but they said yes anyways, and they showed up and they were grouchy or just had this weird energy, maybe not even outwardly grouchy, but just you could tell something was off in that moment. How would you feel in that? Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you would be like, I feel like a bully. I'm like pressuring this, this person to be there for me in a way that they don't want to do it. But if you asked a friend and they were excited and they were like in a good place with it, um, you'd feel really good. You'd be like, wow, they're showing up for me in that way. Yeah. So I think the thing is understanding people can read your energy and that they would much rather have somebody who wants to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, somebody know, I would feel wrong. guilty asking someone to do something and then having them show up and be like, ugh. I don't want to do this. Ugh. Yeah. And then I'd be like, now I feel guilty for asking you <laughs> and forcing yeah. you to do this. You know, I didn't really force them to do anything. They yeah. said yes of their own volition. So right. that's so cool to, to turn it on its head like yeah. that and see so like, you're doing that. You're being that person who's, even if you're not, like you said, outwardly being a grouch, internally, you're resentful, you're feeling annoyed, and that's not going to be good for it your carries relationship. A totally different energy. It carries a different energy. When you don't want to be there, people can tell. And the truth is, you know, we're saying yes, because we want to please people. We want people to like us and we want to be able to move forward with whatever we're doing and why ever we're saying yes. But the trick is, it's so much more important to show up with a full wholehearted energy than it is to just show up. You know, you can tell who really wants to be there and who really wants to do what they're doing. But I think another important thing is to understand that other people are also managing their life energy 
and that they're going to understand if you just phrase it right. If you just say, hey, this is something I would really love to do, but my energy is just not in a great place right now. I cannot tell you the amount of times that I've had to cancel on people where I just said, hey, you know, I'm just not feeling very well today. I still very much want to show up for you this way, but could we do it another day? So offering another solution if you just can't do it that day, and if you don't want to do it at all, just tell them, I'm sorry, I've looked at everything in my life right now, and I just don't have extra energy to give to this, but I would love to help you in another way or cheer you on from afar. That's good. What about people who, um, who are feeling like they're being taken advantage of by close friends or family members, and they feel like they're constantly doing favors for this person, running errands for this person. And part of that may or may not be the, the knowledge that they kind of feel like, hmm, they're always reaching out to me only when they need me, but for no other mm. reason. But they're still not able to set that boundary or figure out a way to either end the relationship or, you know, define the relationship in a different way so that that's not the case. Oh yeah. That's deep too. Um, and that's some deep, first off, I'm going to say that's very real what you're feeling because we are, we are programmed to want acceptance. I'll back everything up and say, it's okay to want to be loved and accepted and liked. We, we pretty much all want that. And if, if you're in an experience where you don't want that, then that's something I'd question more than wanting it. <laughs> you know, we are supposed to be around each other. We're supposed mm -hmm. to be loved. Yeah. Um, so understanding that that reaction and that desire is okay. But the most important thing I would ask is what are you trying to gain from being in a relationship like that? I was in relationships and friendships like that. And what I was trying to gain was my worth, my sense of worthiness. Like, oh, I helped that person today. today, So I earned my sense of worthiness today. Or, oh, I can show up and I can be the sweet, nice one. So therefore, I, I earned my title again. I'm, re, um, I'm putting more points into the category of being the sweet and nice one. Question what roles you've played in the past and how you keep feeding them. Because I can say for sure, we have all been given roles as children that we have carried over unless we've done some serious inner work on ourselves, for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Because <laughs> I think a lot of times... I find this with my clients and even with myself sometimes, if I'm being yeah. honest, oh, um, gosh, yeah. until now at this point, I'm able to acknowledge it more, but it's so easy to put the blame on the other person. Mm -hmm. They keep asking so much of me. They don't respect my time. They only reach out to me when they want something, but we need to look at how we're handling the situation and how we're showing up. We can't control what they are doing. Yes. You could talk to someone and, and, kindly ask them to change their habits, chances are they won't, at least not long term, unless yeah. they actually commit to doing the deep inner work like you are. But yeah. you need to look at how you are approaching the situation and how you can change the situation by your own actions and your own mindset. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head because self-care is, is responsibility. That's the part of it that we don't like. We're like, yeah, bubble baths. Yeah, treat mm -hmm. myself. Like mm -hmm. we love that part. We're like, girl, I got my nails done. I got my hair done. I like went for a massage. I self-cared. Yeah. But what about the, the BS stories you're telling? Yes. What about the accepting responsibility for letting somebody trample over your boundaries? What about doing that inner work where you show up with a therapist or a coach and you cry it out mm -hmm. and say, I don't like this side of myself. Okay, well, how can you shift that? How can you change your behaviors but love yourself? Mm -hmm. How can you separate those actions? And I think that the huge part of all of this is accepting that responsibility. You cannot do boundaries and not accept responsibility for being the one in charge. You cannot grow and thrive and be a creative, happy, successful person and not accept responsibility. That's not to say that you accept responsibility 
for them taking advantage of you, but you accept responsibility for you allowing it and not setting that border. And I think like the main thing I would say to that person is no is a complete sentence. Anyone who cannot handle your no is not respecting you as a person. Oh my God. Say it for the people in the back. (laughs) Anyone (laughs) who cannot handle that no is not respecting you as a person. They are wanting to take advantage of you and they're needing that role in their life for some reason in their injured self, you know, and that's their, their battle to fight. You can love on them. You can tell them that you see that and that you feel for them and you want to support them, but you can never fight someone else's battle or tend to their responsibilities. And they are their own responsibility. These things they are asking you to do, they are first their responsibility. That's not to say you can never delegate. Absolutely, you can delegate. That's part of self-care too. Mm -hmm. Uh, They never get spoken about. You can ask people to help you. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. But if it crosses a line when someone's asking you to take responsibility for them more than they're taking responsibility for them, no way. No way. (laughs) Hard no. (laughs) Hard no. I Yeah, I totally. And I love that you said no is a complete sentence because I think a lot of people get very... Um, anxious and nervous about, oh, I, I don't want to do this. Okay, say no. But I have to give an excuse or I have to have a reason or this or that. I'm sorry no. I'm unable to. There's yeah. your sentence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. no, but thanks. I have a friend who says that to me all the time and he like cracked up our entire dinner table one night because he says that since he's turned 30, he just doesn't care anymore. And that he just goes around saying, no, but thanks. <laughs> and I'm just like, that is so great. But it's so true. You don't have to give a reason. If yeah. you feel like you have to give a reason, ask yourself why. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's what I was just thinking because the thought that comes to mind is the reason why people are, get so, I think, nervous about saying is that saying that is because they don't want that said back to them. But then think about mm. why, why do you not want that said back to them? you why do you feel like you should get everything that you ask for in an instant and that nobody else can respect their time or their energy or that everything is supposed to work right exactly yeah so like i think for a lot of people like they don't want someone to or they feel like they would be upset if someone said no to them with no real explanation so they're afraid to say it to someone else it's a two-way street if you want to say no to somebody then you are passing off the responsibility of them managing whatever it is that they asked you to do on their own and that their, their problems, their emotional reactions to that is in their court. But it's also saying that your emotional reactions and your problems with that are in your court. That's the other side of the coin that's not as pretty and not as fun to go into, but it's the most powerful one. Because if you can download that into your being and truly understand that to like the depth of your core, that's real inner work done. That is powerful inner work done. And that is really truly claiming what I call creative control over your life, not just your work, but your life. That's so good. And saying, yeah, and saying, I'm responsible for this. So I'm going to, I'm going to change it if I don't like it. I'm going to ask for help when I need it. I'm going to parent myself in all aspects and all areas of this. And I'm going to show up fully as the creator of my own choices and my own place in this world. I love it. So how can we start on this journey and do this inner deep work? Permission to plug yourself, but give us... People can get started on this journey, whether they're ready for a coach like you or me or not. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, Yeah, no, I love working with creative women who are struggling with all of these things. This is, this is my jam. Like I could talk about this stuff all day long. I care deeply about this work. Um, As I know you do too, Katie, like that's what drew us to this work is going through it ourselves and wanting to create a different uh, narrative here, wanting a different uh, story told. Um, So I think the very first thing is connect with yourself. And that sounds so vague and I'm so sorry for putting it that way, but I will elaborate. Connect deeper to yourself. Um, I know some of my clients do it best through their writing, like songwriting. 
I know some of them do it best through journaling. I know some of them do it best to literally just talking to themselves, which is totally fine. Most of us do it. We just don't admit to it all the time. Um, <laughs> I love and, talking to myself. Like, girl, I would, yes. I would sit in my car <laughs> and just like chant things or like talk <laughs> plans out. Like, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> it is so powerful. And I'm a highly auditory person. So if I hear something being said back to me, I'm way more likely to resonate with that than I am to like, respond to written words. So if I think I'm, you were actually the one who, who made me realize that I was like an auditory processor in that I like oh, to talk yeah. things out. Yeah. Oh, so cool. <laughs> I love And talk. I'm that way too. I that's why I have I, a podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the funny. And I, I had to learn that myself because the very first thing that came up for me with my codependency struggles is, oh, does this mean I can't go talk things out with my friends? Does this mean I need to just sort it all out myself? And that's not true at all. It's again, being the CEO, the, the crafter of this entire experience and going, okay, when do I need this? And when is it better that I, you know, tend to myself first? So I think the main thing is fostering that connection, fostering a conversation with your inner self. And that can look like I was saying so many different ways. It can be a literal conversation where you're like, hi, Louise, how are you doing today? Not so hot. Why? Oh, you didn't sleep well last night. All right. So how can I support you in that? Oh, not duh. When I'm done with this, maybe I could take a nap. That's perfect. Now, do you want to cut the coffee after that nap? Okay, cool. I got you, fam. Like literally as simple <laughs> as that. Yeah. Or it can be a lot deeper. If you are someone who, who loves the idea of meditation or loves spiritual practices, build those. We all tend to know what's good for us and how we can connect back to our, our inner wisdom and our inner self and that voice that tells us what we need. We just avoid it because it does bring up tough stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Start there. And so this is your encouragement to give yourself permission to do that. It is tough. Yeah. It's hard work, but it's also very rewarding and worth it once you actually do it. True, true, true. Um, and, and two, if you find yourself coming up across the same patterns and across the same things, don't hesitate to get the help that you need, whether that is a coach or a therapist and knowing the difference between the two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's super important. A therapist is going to dig a little deeper into the why and your past. A coach is going to lead you through it. So make sure that you're calling in the right support and help for the, the stage that you're in. I've worked with both and I've worked with them together and I've worked with them separate. Like mm -hmm. I've, I have no shame around that. I know what I need when I need it. And I know what things to bring to each person. So never, never feel ashamed of that help. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, we're two coaches, so yeah. <laughs> we're happy to tell you, you know, look into who might best fit. Feel free to like talk oh, yeah. to people and, and figure out what works best for you. Everything works Different things work for different people at different times, so it's important to acknowledge that. But thank you so much, Louise, for your thank time you. today. Where can we find and connect with you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm at raregym.org um, and pretty much on all social media under Rare Gym Coach. So that's a great way to connect with me. And I would love to speak with you, slide into my DMs, slide into my inbox, and just tell me what's going on with your life. Yay. Yay. Awesome. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you so much. I love chatting with you today. This was so fun. Yeah, this was so fun. Um, so be sure to let me and Louise both know what your biggest takeaways from this episode were. Thank you all for tuning in today. And thank you, Louise, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. It was a blast.